Welcome to Day Beautiful. I'm Adam Vitkavich, and this is a podcast where readers can discover debut authors. If you like what you hear here, check out daybeautiful.net for more author interviews and book recommendations. You can also follow us on social media at Day Beautiful on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Today's guest was born and raised in London and has a background in international journalism and playwriting and is a Tin House resident and a Malay colony resident. She's the author of two previous young adult books and her debut adult novel, The Niger Wife, is out now. Please welcome Vanessa Walters. Hey, Vanessa. How are you doing today? All is well. It's the run-up to pub day now, so it's busy, busy, busy. And super excited, of course. Yes, I am excited uh, for your book to come out. It's super fun um, and twisty, and there's a lot going on. Um, I saw it was comp to like my sister, the serial killer, which uh, yes, I agree with. But I'm curious, what is uh, the Niger wife to you? What's what's how does Vanessa explain it? Oh gosh, wow. I think it's often <laughs> hardest for the authors yes, yes. to explain their book. Um, but the Niger Wife, uh, for me is it's 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 about the disappearance of this um young mother, Nicole, in Nigeria. Um, and it's about how she came to that disappearance. So even though it's told from two perspectives, one before the disappearance and one after the, the disappearance, I think for me, it's essentially trying to work out like what is her life um, in this place. And I think for me, I had um, a similar sort of experience to Nicole as I was also a Niger wife in Nigeria. Um, so a lot of the world is the same and a lot of the questions are the same, like, um, um what is this life about um who am i type questions um and um yeah like um how do i fit into this place that i'm you know i'm not from yeah um, so i think it's it's for me it's an exploration of sort of how we how we come to a place um how a place changes us um you know, how we kind of lose ourselves sometimes at a point in life and then move forward. I think it, I think it is kind of funny, like a fun book. Because mm -hmm. I think I just come to life in that way. Like, um, let's, let's laugh at things. Let's yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, um, so yeah, I'm glad that you think it's a fun book also because um, I think that's just how I am. I have like a sarky sense of humor and for sure. I, I tend to have a satirical kind of eye as well. Yeah. Yeah. When I was reading it, I wasn't really sure what to expect, to be honest with you. Um, it, it came across and and your publicist was like, just trust me, get like read it. Because it, it, I usually like very okay. like, like sad, just no plot type books, you know, that's just and then. And then, yeah, I there's obviously a lot of serious stuff going on, but yeah, that snarky humor definitely comes through, <laughs> for sure. I think people will. It's like a page turner. I, I don't know. People will love the Niger wife, but uh, I'm curious about. You mentioned that you lived in Nigeria. Um, you're from London, and and I like to get into like the writer's early life. 
were you always writing and reading as a kid? Um, I, I know you have a background in journalism, but like what 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 was your path to writing like? Um, yeah, I always wrote from an early age. Um, I think I was probably somewhat precocious in that area. And then mm. my um my mom, who who was a single mom, she um she didn't have a television. So I really just grew up with books and with my and as an only child until I was 14, like my own imagination. And I think those two things really made me a writer because, you know, we would just buy all the secondhand books we could find. Um, and so I ended up reading very widely and mm. randomly as a child um, because um you could, I could only have what was in the secondhand bookshop, you know, like yeah. on, on the cheap rack. So I'd end up just hoovering up a whole lot, lot of different books. And I was writing quite early. Um, I think from the age of about six years old, I was writing quite um, interesting stuff, poetry, uh, you know, interesting for my age group, you yeah, know, of poetry. Um, all that sort of thing. And and I remember because my life was quite um, underprivileged in a lot of ways because I had a struggling single mom um, and I, 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 I was an only child, so to speak. My mom was, um, you know, an immigrant from Jamaica to the UK. Mm -hmm. um, so it was a lot of things she didn't really know about. And I definitely had quickly gotten used to the idea of like filling in gaps with my imagination and taking myself somewhere completely different for the day in my reading or my writing. Yeah, I'm curious, like, I feel I had a, a not the same path, but I, I definitely feel like I read wide and books I probably shouldn't have been reading like books that were like my mom's books, but I pulled them <laughs> off the shelf. What were some of those early books you just remember, like, connecting with and falling in love with um okay so for example i used to read a lot of um like ancient mythology mm, mm. um at a young age um i had um i guess it was a sort of stepfather like a family friend who used to be he had such an interesting story as well he used to be a roman catholic priest in zimbabwe in tanzania um and I think he'd gotten disillusionized with the priesthood and he'd, you know, he'd sort of made his own way in London. And he used to, he taught me how to read Latin um, at a young age and he taught me how to sight read music. Um, so, you know, I, I had this introduction to like um, Roman and Greek mythology and then, you know, the ancient Egyptians. Um, and that was kind of random, but also very, I think, linked to my understanding of story and these these great themes that um, has has sort of never left me in a way, you know. And then as I got older, like you did, locked on to the adult books <laughs> very yeah. quickly, um, read the Bible, like almost cover to cover at a young age, read, I remember I read, um, oh, uh, now it's uh this show with um my precious it's just gone out my head you know uh 
the Rings. Oh, the Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. I yes. read Lord of the Rings. You know, before I was eleven, um, and and I also when I was like in my early teens, I got into like Georgette Hare for mm. some strange reason. I read like the whole of Georgette Hare. Like I was super into Regency period literature, and then like these romance literatures from that time wow, yeah. I was always having books taken off me I'm sure you were yeah, at, yeah. at a young age as well so I was dipping into these things um yeah like yourself uh, I think it helped yeah as uh, I, I I'm curious um you know you mentioned your mother immigrated from Jamaica to the UK and you grew up with her and then you had to fill in like gaps with your imagination of like how things worked <clears throat> um did you ever see yourself like reflected in literature or media or anything like when was the first time you kind of connected with with who Vanessa is oh wow I think um I think I only really probably connected with who I am in the Niger White and sort mm. of came to terms with who I am because I don't think these were questions I really had before. So even when I wrote Rude Girls at 16, I just wrote it without, so to speak, any questions. It was just like a fun romp for these girls in you know, East London, one, one crazy summer and my friends were loving it. So I just wrote more, um, but I definitely didn't write it with any questions or sort of a coming to terms with who I am. It, it wasn't a sort of, um, young, you know, black woman in London, where there wasn't a ton of representation, even mm -hmm. though that was a very early form of representation for other young women who read that book. Um, they said that was perhaps the first time they really found a book for themselves in the bookshop. And that really encouraged them to read more. But for me, I didn't really think about it like that. I think I only just really had these questions like what is Jamaican culture? What is Jamaican culture in the UK? What is my family history? What is, what does culture mean? What does it do? What is identity for? I think I only really had those questions in the Niger one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned Rude Girls, which is one of your YA books. And I guess I, I, I it was written a while ago at this point. Um, I was not like when I was, you know, going to research you, I wasn't sure of the timeline, but like the mid nineties, right. For, for um, girls. Yeah. I, yeah, I think, well, I think it was actually published. Um, yeah. Like 96, 95 or 96. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So yeah, a really long time ago. Yeah. So <laughs> you write these like YA young adult books and you kind of mentioned like you had no plans. It just happened. Right. Definitely. I just wrote it. Um, I, I just, this is a sort of a natural extension of reading, just mm -hmm. wanting to read this book. Yeah. Um, it sounded fun and it, it started happening. And then I started showing it to my friends at school and they were like, oh yeah, this is cool. And then they wanted to read what happened the next week. So yeah. the next chapter had to manifest. <laughs> uh, and then, um, when it was finished, I didn't have any plan to publish it, but I went to a small quirky girl school in London and I, my computer teacher had mentioned to my headmistress that I had 
I was working on a book, ho, mm -hmm. ho, ho. And I'd used all the paper in the computer room. <laughs> and my headmistress at the time had said, well, show it to me. So I did. And she, just by chance, you know, forces of the universe coming together, her nephew was a literary agent. So she sent it to him. And he became my agent. And the rest was history, so to yeah. speak. And then, so you're in school, you write these books. Do you think at that point in your life, I'm just going to write books yearly and become a full-time writer? Um, yeah, I, what's your I, what's your path like from there? Yeah, I think initially I did. Mm -hmm. I think initially I did think, okay, I'm just going to write more. Like I was, um, so I was 16 when I wrote Rude Girls and it probably came out when I was just turned 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely thought I had a two book deal. So I was already working on the next book. And I definitely thought, okay, I'll just do that. This is where I am. And then my agent was like, no, my agent was like, and he would probably contradict this version of events. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, my agent was like, no, you know, you, I think he, from his perspective, it wasn't really his area. Yeah. Um, because he really was doing representing me as a favor to his sister he was an older man and he mostly did very serious biographies mm. for like older white men you know um yeah. and so i think he didn't necessarily have the vision for it but also i think as an as someone for whom you know he, he kind of was a bit paternal towards me um he was a lovely he is a lovely man. Um, and I think he wanted to, you know, put me on what he felt was the right course for life, um, which he said was to live yeah. and to not to think this is the thing that I have to do. He said, you know, finish university and pursue your career and and go and work and and live. And I think he was just cognizant of the fact that writers don't earn much. And I was at a stage where I probably should be working on my law or something that could sustain me and not miss that boat. Um, and I think he didn't realize perhaps that this perhaps was my thing, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like don't fight it, just like go with it. So I spent a lot of years I, I guess he kind of rejected my third novel. And then mm -hmm. I spent a lot of years sort of in the wilderness writing wise. I wrote some plays. I had about four plays staged in London. So it wasn't exactly the worst. Um, I was one year I was the writer in residence for, you know, um, the borough of Kensington and Chelsea researching Afro-Caribbean history and writing. I wrote a play called Smoke Othello doing that, which has still has a life. It was on just the other day. So, you know, a lot came out of those years. But I think as a as a prose writer, those were tough years where I perhaps didn't really develop myself and I kind of drifted away from writing long, long form. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up getting married and going sort of into that life where I didn't really write at all for years mm -hmm. and then I kind of came back to it like around 2017 mm -hmm. it found me again and I think it found me because 
personally, I was in kind of a weird lost place. And as I said, I had all these questions. And then the questions became notes. And the, I realized like Lagos just this fascinating city. Everyone keeps liking my stories about it. Um, and then I've got this character. Why don't I just throw that all together? Yeah. And that became a book. And now I definitely do feel like I am here to write. I feel such a strong sense of purpose about it. I've got so much to say. And that's what I want to do for the next few years is kind of like, you know, develop as much as I can um, as a writer and explore these other things that, you know, these other questions that I have about life, about the human condition and, and see, you know, where, where I can go. Yeah, definitely. I am excited that you found your way back to fiction. I know you, like you mentioned briefly that you uh, have written plays and then looking just deep on your history, like you've corresponded for like BBC, uh, financial, like business reviews, um, and you've edited a lot. I like, so during that time, during like, other than was fiction just completely not happening at all? Or were you still trying to dabble in it? I would say it wasn't happening at all because wow. I think for a long time I wasn't even really reading. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like that part of me really was, you know, on hiatus. Um, I don't know why, um, but yeah. it just, yeah, I just wasn't, wasn't in that space at all. I didn't even think of myself as a writer. Um and I even said to people, I don't write anymore, which now seems ludicrous. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's like a part of me. And I don't know why I said that, but I think I just kind of was, I just had gotten away from it. And it's like a muscle, you yeah. know, you could all lose it. Yeah, I, I agree. Especially with reading. I, I remember I graduated college, you know, at 22 and then for like three, four, five years, I didn't read at all, like just wasn't part of my life. And then one year I just, yeah. So yeah, for four years, almost, I just didn't, I don't think I read anything, not like not a magazine, not a comic book, not anything. And then it was like training my brain to like sit down for a few, a, a few hours. Cause I'm, I, I don't like to just read a chapter at a time. I need to like soak in like a chunk of the book. Yeah. Um, do you remember when you did start reading again, like what do you remember like the books that got you back into it that made things click for you? Yeah. Um, I would say books, definitely books like um, Beloved by Toni mm-hmm. Morrison um, and Zora's Their Eyes Were Watching God. Yeah. Um, certain history books that I perhaps was given um that were a little bit alternative so um i i remember i started reading shake and diop which was about the african origins of civilization um and ivan van sertima they came before columbus and mm. you know these are these are books um, <clears throat> the ice man's inheritance these are books which have sort of been poo-pooed by historians um but they really just kind of 
sparked my curiosity um, in a way that I think really led to fiction. Um, I think it was about this idea of having something to say. Yeah. Um, and it's your own thing. Yeah. <laughs> and and you're, you know, you don't have, it doesn't have to fit into what people expect or like what uh, people believe. It kind mm -hmm. of made me understand writing as sort of a resistance. Um, and, and yeah, like, and the randomness of the reading as well, really just reading things I was interested in and not, not plowing through books that were boring to me, but something that just had kept my eye for some strange random reason. It kept my eye. Yeah. Um, and I think that really led me to what makes me tick as a writer, which I think is definitely a kind of writing is resistance in my own mm -hmm. small way. Um, because I think I was in a situation where in Nigeria, you know, during 2011 to 2018, where I felt like I was expected to play a role of like, you know, the good wife and mm -hmm. the mother. And it wasn't nourishing for me. It wasn't nourishing enough for me, um, uh, especially somebody who had um, had a, a single, a struggling single mom. Yeah. Um, she didn't raise me to be a, you know, a sort of a stay-at-home mom type. She raised me to really be a very autonomous and self-directed person. So I think I was writing in resistance to this role I was in. Um, and that reading really helped me to, I think, just realize that go for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <clears throat> and so you mentioned you had you uh, the Niger wife really started with questions about kind of your life, others' lives around you. And there's also this mystery that's centered in it. Um, I guess like how did these all these ideas come together? What or or what were they all just one and the same? Like this mis the central mystery was that part of the questions you were asking? Oh my gosh! You know what I had thought felt like I disappeared in my life. Mm. So I was like, what if, what if I actually disappeared? Right? Uh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be like cool. And what would people do if like I actually disappeared? Mm. So I think that was really, that was the spark for the, the storyline. Yeah. And then the rest of it really wrote itself in terms of Lagos being like, this cool, amazing city where it's so fascinating that at the time the world didn't really know about. I mean, now mm -hmm. we have famous Nigerian music stars, but at the time they were, you know, someone like um, Davido, who's now a huge star worldwide. He, at the time, was uh, perform I, I He performed at a birthday party I was at. Mm. So <laughs> it's like, um, and then... I interviewed him for a magazine and like me and my friends were like in his car uh, because it was part of the shoot. We were just having fun. Yeah. And it was like knowing, feeling that vibe that the world has come to feel about 
Nigeria and Lagos and Afrobeat music and the glamour of it all, feeling the vibe, but seeing that people didn't know about it, like it just naturally made its way into the book, all that fun stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun place Lagos was. Um, I remember the extremes of Lagos really affected me. The extreme wealth juxtaposed with like extreme poverty. Mm. Um, these lives that I don't know if you can really imagine it. If you've never been to the, the, the developing countries, how you can be, <clears throat> you can be broke in America and yes, you can have a sort of cut off life. But the reality is you're probably just a, you know, a bus ride away from like <laughs> the most, the world's most influential people, you mm -hmm. know, yeah. the, the most amazing cities that drive what happens around the rest of the world. Yeah. But if you are a humble driver in Lagos, who's perhaps never even really left Lagos your entire life, you're just so much more remote from the opportunities that other people take for granted. And it just really struck me like these lives are so kind of sequestered. Mm -hmm. um, and it it's the choices are so limited. Um, and there's but there's still so much wish and will to participate in this global global happening. Mm -hmm. Um, and it, these things just really hit me emotionally. Um, so yeah. they just also found their way into the book. Definitely. No. Yeah. And that's why, like, you know, I say it's a fun novel and you mentioned the fun of it. Right. But then it's also deals with these topics that I don't think a lot of Americans definitely are not thinking about, even if we say we are like, we don't, and most Americans do not understand what most of the world is going through. <laughs> Other than like social media clips, right? We're not thinking. I mean, we Americans. I say it. We, we are very selfish. We are just gonna st stay in our lane and just as long as we're we're as long as I like the I am okay. That's all Americans ever think about. I feel. Um, yeah. yeah, everything's here. Yeah, and that's like one of the amazing things about America is like you've got desert, you've got mountains, mm -hmm. you've got beaches, you've got winter, you've got summer, you've got um, so much land to explore. You yeah. have every, you know, in New York, somewhere like New York, there's every yeah. type of person from everywhere in the world. It's a mecca of people and ideas and um, you, a place like New York will make all your dreams come true. So, you don't have to look beyond. Mm -hmm. um, and especially mm -hmm. if, you know, you have a, an, a sort of an education system which is designed to really centralize America in your psyche, yeah. um, then, you know, it's very natural to really just, you know, have to make a sort of extra effort to mm. <laughs> kind of look beyond. Whereas the UK is a relatively tiny island, you know? Yeah. There's, the consciousness is already like Europe is right there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All these other places are right there. Um, and they're quick. They're easy to get to. 
right? You don't have to cross an ocean, you know, two hours on a plane, you're, you know, you're in the heart of Europe, four hours, you know, you're in Africa, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you're already used to moving all these distances and it's part of the British psyche in a way to look, to look outwards and um, it, it doesn't, it's not, that's not in sort of resistance to the mm-hmm. idea of being British. In fact, the idea of being British is kind of a sort of slightly that nauseating underpinning of, off we go, <laughs> we're going to that country and it's ours. <laughs> you know? Yes, yeah. <laughs> sort of <laughs> yeah yeah and then um just looping back to to the book real quick because i do want to make sure uh you know we talk a little bit more about it um did you write it all while in lagos i i wrote a, probably about twenty thousand words while in lagos so i had written enough to get a residency while mm-hmm. i was living in lagos at the malay colony um, in upstate New York, mm-hmm. which was a huge turning point for me. An American Niger wife in Lagos had really encouraged me to write more, and she was applying. So she was like, let's apply together. And she said, you know, she was really gung ho about it. She sent me the form and was yeah. like, you're applying to this. We're both going. And in the end, um, bittersweet, I got the residency. She didn't. Um, so I think she's like, life lesson, don't ever do that again. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, um, I'm so grateful to her for really putting me on this path in a really serious way. Um, and then it wasn't until I actually, I still wasn't in like, like craft wise. I wasn't like I am now where like, I'll wake up and easily write 2,000 words. Mm-hmm. You know, I was maybe writing a few hundred words a week. Wow. Um, and I have weeks where I just didn't write. And I didn't necessarily have that confidence of I'm a writer. You know, that took two years of therapy in New York to say the words, I am a wow. writer. Yeah. Um, so when I came to New York, and that's the thing about the writing community in New York, more so than any other place I've I've been is that people are just take writing very seriously mm-hmm. and it's it's a profession and it's something that you study you know you you get your MFA mm-hmm. which I couldn't afford to do but still I was around a lot of get your MFA energy and it just really pushed me to write more um and I joined critique groups and that really helped my productivity and and you know and things really powered up coming to New York yeah you mentioned a lot of Niger wife was because like you had lost yourself uh, with many things uh and I'll end kind of on this question did the book writing the book did it sounds and it sounds like I know the answer but did you find yourself did the book help you get to who you used to be or who you want to be yeah because you know the book is fictional mm-hmm. so you know you are in a sense creating uh you're creating a self in a kind of aspirational way mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> like you're creating the the life lessons <laughs> for yourself not intentionally but 
it it just happens um so in a way nicole was braver than me mm. um and that definitely and i think i was looking for an empathy that i didn't have in my life because things were a little bit like um you know just just accept this is your life mm -hmm. yeah. um and peace will come to you yeah. and i think <laughs> i think writing nicole's story i was like no she's not gonna accept this is her life she's gonna go and have this affair she's gonna go and <laughs> you know look at her options and she's gonna go and have like conversations with different people about you know what she can do um and yeah. that kind of inspired me um and i definitely think writing that has made me a person who really can listen to themselves mm -hmm. and uh in regardless of what other people say and someone who can break out of a box or a hole you know or you know uh yeah. find a solution um to the issue and and being in america i think really was like american like new york women new york when i came here i really had this impression of new york as like a feminist state like mm -hmm. as close to a feminine state as it's possible to get within an essentially still patriarchal kind of society and women in new york they are about it they mm -hmm. you know they're the other end of the spectrum they're independent they are into their careers um they don't want to have conversations about i mean well you know i'm sure some do you know i watch real housewives <laughs> yes of course yeah. and stuff but you know that's not really the new york ethos the new york mm -hmm. ethos for women is like you know we've got this anything you want to do we can do we're going to talk about how we can help each other do it and we're going to work super hard and we're not going to rely on a man or mm -hmm. anybody else we're going to be the architects of our own lives and we're going to have amazing lives um, and we're going to want things for ourselves that are unreasonable and that really did end up sort of going into the book as well and encouraged me to just think bigger in my life. As I said, two years to get to a point of saying I am a writer and now I feel like I'm, you know, that has that that journey went into the book that also changed me thank you so much to vanessa for joining the day beautiful podcast to talk about her debut novel niger wife you can find her on the internet at vanessawalters.net on instagram at vanessa walters b and on Twitter at Vanessa Walters. You can find Day Beautiful at daybeautiful.net and on all social media at Day Beautiful. As always, I'm Adam. This is Day Beautiful, and you're all beautiful. <laughs>